Greetings and salutations. I hope your day is both tranquil and fulfilling. I am Athanasius, and welcome back to the podcast of The Boldly Immortal. Today I have a friend with me, uh, Jesse, and we are going to be talking about uh, The Book of Eli, which is a film that uh, came out a few years back um, and has some very interesting themes going on inside of it. So we're going to try and uh, go through that, dissect some of those uh, interesting pieces, and uh, I hope you enjoy. So welcome, Jesse. Hey, thanks, Titus. I am well. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, Good to have you. So um, why don't you start it off with a bit of an introduction about the movie, uh, maybe some basic information and plot synopsis? Sure. Yeah. Um, well, The Book of Eli is uh, came out, I don't know, five, six years ago. It's a post-apocalyptic type genre movie and it centers around the character named Eli who I don't think he's explicitly called Eli in the movie but we do see a name tag on his backpack that says hello my name is Eli hmm. and the title's called the book of Eli so it's a <laughs> reasonable assumption it's a reasonable assumption that this movie revolves around a character named Eli who's played by Denzel Washington nice and um it's about this character who's on the road, you know, in this post-apocalyptic wasteland. Um, human interactions seem to be pretty, pretty bad in general. If you run into humans, you have to assume that they are there to kill or rape you. Um, and uh, Eli runs into this, but he's also the type of guy who can uh, fight off these people we find out even though he's an old guy he can um fight menacing type men and so uh let's see i how detailed should we be at the synopsis i mean you know he 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 kind of has two encounters with um evil men at the beginning of the movie and the first one in the first one he fights them kills them all and then leaves the woman who is supposed to lure him into a trap. Um, he leaves her and moves on. Later, he runs into... He kind of is above another attack on, on some innocence. And uh, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't try to intervene at all. So when he, he himself is, is directly attacked, he gets involved. But when it's other people, he's right. not my So there is kind of this sense of self-preservation that he seems to be about which is kind of an interesting concept um especially you know as we learn more about eli and what he's trying to do because you know he basically um sort of has a higher purpose than than surviving um because he believes and apparently he's heard that he's been called to uh keep possession of this book and bring it somewhere specific uh Really, he's working, it sounds like, from the East Coast to the West Coast over the past 30 years, which, you know, I was a little <laughs> confused about, actually. Like, 30 years, it it takes you to cross America? Like, yeah. You know I what mean, I mean? Like, Forrest Gump did it in, it, what, a couple weeks? Right. <laughs> <laughs> just, just a side note there. I was like, that's 30 years? Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I know you're old, but, I mean, you're making pretty good progress. Like, so... Anyway, he has a higher purpose, and at that point, at the point when he sees the um, the innocents being attacked, he says, "Stay on the path. Stay. I, th I believe, stay on the path." Yeah. So, 
it's kind of interesting. There's this self-preservation aspect to it, but there's also this, like, well, he justifies self-preservation by, like, no, I have a higher purpose. So his higher purpose doesn't seem to include, you know, I, and I don't, maybe I'm getting too much into it, um, because the book that he's carrying is 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 the Bible, mm. right? And so right. one of the main themes in that work of literature is loving your your neighbor. And that's a um, lesson he has to learn throughout the, the course of the film effectively is, right. you know, Hey, maybe, maybe you should also be paying attention to what's on the, what's on the page. So, so after these two encounters, I'd say we kind of enter like the second act, which is um, getting to this town where there seems to be some semblance of civilization. And we meet the next, the, the main, um, we're not sure what he is at first, but he ends up being the antagonist and his name is Carnegie. And he is played by Gary Oldman. Yeah, um, fantastic performance. Really good performance. Yep. And uh, let's see. Carnegie wants um, some kind of knowledge. He's looking for books. He sends these scrappers out to you know, take books from people. And they bring him a bunch of you know, random different books, but they're not the book he's looking for. And so the viewer is supposed to kind of assume, okay, it's probably the book that, that Eli has. Mm -hmm. And uh, sure enough, it is. And they, um, Carnegie can tell after, of course, Eli's killed everyone in his bar. Um, he can tell that Eli is a, a, a man of intellectual prowess mm -hmm. and looks at him as an equal. And they try to, um, lure Eli to stay in the town and become kind of a figure of basically another tool for Carnegie. And that's before Carnegie knows he has the book. Once he knows he has the book, um, you know, he tries to get it from him and uh, Eli gets away mm -hmm. um, sort of in a weird mystical way because people shoot at him and um, he, they don't, the bullets don't hit him. Yeah. Right. And this goes with what Eli said, which is that he's supposed to carry this book and that he'll be protected by God, I guess. Right. And um, let's see. And I, I kind of skipped over Solara. She's another character that Eli runs into. And um, she's played by Mila Kunis. Um, I have comments about all these characters that I'm not going to get into yet. Right. Um, she's played fairly well by, by Mila, but there's some... She looks like a hipster in the apocalypse, but she other than too that, much like she's she was way too <laughs> too prettied up. Like I'm like, uh, but, like, but I think they tried it. Well, they tried to make her kind of like uh, sort of gr gritty, but she is not as gritty as everyone else in the movie. Right. Everyone else is way more gritty than her. And, and to a certain and extent, looks, to a certain extent, that uh, does make sense because of how she's she's used by Carnegie. Right? He, he attempts yeah, to she, use her she, to. She has a little more higher class upbringing, but I mean, like. Well, and know. he he tries to use her as a, basically a, uh, a like a what? what how, while Eli is in the it? town, yeah. uh, while Eli's in the town, he um, uh, tries to use Solara to lure Eli to stay through prostitution. There, Eli, you. of course, uh, you know he's like, no, no I'm not going to do gonna, that. Like, I'll share my food with you. I'll let you stay in the hotel room. We're not going to do this because that's not what I'm about. Well, and then during and, uh, that during that confrontation, or during that like yeah. that that, I guess confrontation is the best way to put it. Where she's 
trying to get him to en- uh, engage with her, and he he's refusing. Mm-hmm. And she's she's really just does not want to go back to Carnegie with failure because that's not something he handles well. Right. They sit down to dinner though, and he says grace, and this is something that she's never heard before. She she has no context for prayer. Right, and that that seems to be the one of those first moments where she really starts to to warm to him and and, and realize there's something very different about about this character that that intrigues and her. And unfortunately, that introduction to prayer uh, sticks with Solara, and it ends up in helping Carnegie realize that Eli may have um, the book of prayer. <laughs> right, right, and you know, with all the Psalms and Proverbs in it and whatnot, um, and so that's how he learns that Eli has the has the book. And so, um, let's see, Solar is interested in Eli, right? It's just as a person, just kind of intrigued, like everyone sort of is, actually, in a sense. Everyone's kind of intrigued, I think, a little bit by him. Um, anyway, but he goes off weird. and she catches up with him. And um, uh, I think earlier, did she she tried to go with him, and he was like, no, mm-hmm. Um so no, she, ca- she catches up with him and, and says, hey, I know where the water is. Right. Um, if you need water, I can get you water. And this also helps us learn a little bit more about Carnegie, because Carnegie, before the apocalypse, knew about these these water sources, underwater caverns with water, and um, hid that knowledge from everyone, just like he hides knowledge in other contexts, such as even when he finds other books, he burns them. Once right. he's read them, if he's gleaned something from them, he's going to burn them after. He's not going to let anyone else touch it. Right, because um, because as, that gives him power over the over the community. So we right. can reasonably assume that that's his intent with the Bible is he wants to use it for keeping his boot on the the neck of the people, um, right. but simply growing that influence and power because that's his perception of of scripture. So um, Eli and Solara are teamed up. They're working together, going west to where Eli's supposed to go. And they um, are attacked by some other humans. No, wait. Solara is attacked. Mm-hmm. Solara is attacked and Eli comes back to save her. Because he left her in the water caverns. Sorry about <laughs> that. Yeah. Um, I don't know how she got out of the water caverns. That was kind of a plot hole. Um, I mean, I guess she could have figured out a way. Anyway, she got out of the water. He, you know, Eli left her in there and, uh, then she got attacked by these guys and then Eli kills them with his cool arrows. And then Carnegie with all his men, they are tracking them and they find these, these dead guys that Eli killed. So they're catching up. And then I believe is when they get to the fun, George and Martha home, mm-hmm. which is actually, I think that might be my favorite part of the movie. <laughs> it, it, oh boy, it gets, it gets it's, interesting. It's like, there's a lot of stuff that happens there thematically. And also throughout the, um, throughout the movie, you hear about the shakers and everyone's checked if their hands are shaking. And like on my first viewing of the movie, I was like, are they like zombies? Like, is there some kind of like genetic, like, issue like what's what's going on with these shakers it's like well they're just cannibals and they eat too much human flesh and because of that they you know i guess i don't really know how this works medically but um (laughs) their hands shake yeah (laughs) so okay that's kind of interesting i'm not sure how scientific 
exactly accurate that is, but it's kind of fun. And so George and Martha is this old couple uh, played by... (laughs) I have a cast list here. Oh, nice. Played by Michael Gambon and Francis de la Tour. And they are really Hmm. delightful, actually, as cannibals. (laughs) Like, they are the (laughs) nicest cannibals I've ever met. (laughs) Like, you would ever meet. Like, they are... They treat them to tea. I don't know what was in the tea, but they treat them to tea, show them their backyard, which has a bunch of graves in it, and say, hey, don't don't, don't mess with us. Um, let's see. And so Solar and Eli are there, and then that's when um, the Carnegie and his men uh, come upon them. And one other thing that I didn't mention is the character of Red Ridge. Oh, should we right. get into that later? Or, um, I mean, that's let's get into him a little can, bit later. Let's, let's, let's wrap get him, up the let's story just get through the plot. We'll, yeah. Let's get to the bare bones. So Red Ridge is his second hand man. So he's with with all those men, or he's his right hand man. And um, they get there. They have like a big old machine gun. They tear up the house. Martha and George have a stockpile of weapons, which is yeah. pretty cool. And they. You know, just four of them hold hold off a lot of men with, like, a grenade. And uh, I think the director, Julie, had fun with the cinematography and the the the, the way... I mean, th- there's one tracking shot where it shows... Like, they pull out this big gun on a swivel, on a swivel thing, and then the bullets fly, and you go... The camera goes into the house through the bullet holes. Um, it's yeah, such a cool it's... shot. It's I nice. love it, and then it goes back out. Like, and the, it's just like, what? This is so giving, great. Giving you like all those different views of the the carnage, yeah. and yeah, and it's like you know, it's a, I think what they call a masterful master shot. So that was super fun, um, or at least a master shot. And Martha and George die, and let's see, Solara and Eli are um, kind of told to throw the book, and they'll let them. They won't shoot at them anymore, so they throw a box out. <laughs> it's not a book; it's a bomb. Really clever, um, but I think somehow th- did they get a hold of Solara? Then I think they, and that's how they yeah. sort of bargain with Eli to. They get a hold of both of them, I guess, right. after the bomb, and then they're like, "Listen, we're gonna shoot Solara if you don't." If, if you don't give us the book, it's behind. It's in the TV case. They get the book. Carnegie shoots Eli in the stomach, leaves Eli for dead. Solar is with them. And then, um, let's see. Solara so they, they has start a great... Back, right? They start, right. I'm sorry. I didn't mention that. They start heading back to the town. But the book Solara's, is locked. You know, right, and the so, book, right. That's another yeah. key key point. So the they have the book, but it's locked. And they don't have the key. I don't know why they didn't think to like get the key from Eli. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't. It's not really clear. I think the the idea is that the, the key isn't there. Like that he has kind of gotten. They rid got of it. like his sword and stuff. Like why didn't they? Yeah. Anyway, it might have right. been just because they knew it was unnecessary. They, they, <laughs> Carnegie does have a lockpick back at the uh, yeah at his town. So, so they go back. And uh, on the way back, Solara escapes, and it's a great escape scene. Um, the way it ha- – how does it happen? She – Well, she uses the – because she took the the bowstring after 
uh, Eli saved her. He t- she takes his bowstring. Yep. And he strangles he... the the driver while mm-hmm. they're driving. The car flips. She grabs a grenade, jumps out of, after she after the car flips. She grabs a grenade, throws it at the other two oncoming vehicles, and totally gets the first vehicle or the second vehicle. Yeah, uh, the one Carnegie is not in, and it blows up. And then Carnegie's like, "Well, I've just lost most of my men. It's not worth it." He turns around and goes back. And then we go back to Solara's vehicle, and uh, Red Ridge, his right-hand man, has just died because he he uh, was driving with scissors in the front. <laughs> he, uh, he put this sword on the dashboard, Eli's sword, because he thought it was cool, I guess, and wanted to look at it. And in the crash, it stabbed him. Yeah. And then he dies in the sunlight. He crawls out and kneels and takes off his goggles and dies in the sunlight, which is an interesting detail we'll go back to later. Yep. Then Solara goes back to Eli, and um, she uh, patches him up, I guess, and helps him out and get to the West, where we realize um, that what Eli has been looking for is essentially a library in, I guess, San Francisco. And uh, they... He... he um, but the you know the issue is he doesn't have the book right right catch Eli has memorized the whole thing and he quotes it word for word and we also find out that he's blind yep which is also interesting considering how much fighting and shooting he's done yeah um, but it's pretty cool when you and- think about it. And so then once we see that, we find out that when Carnegie gets back, he gets the book opened and he can't read any of it. But Solara's Uh, mother was born blind. So she has, in theory, she has the ability. And then she looks at it and says, oh, I've I've forgotten. Now, whether she's telling the truth or not is left unclear. Right. Because in that situation, we see that Carnegie sort of in using all his resources to find this book. He's kind of lost control of the town. There's rioting, and he doesn't really... He's also very feverish because of an earlier wound. And so he's just lost complete control of his body, his wife, his family, his his town. Everything's kind of devolved in the time that he's spent pursuing this book, which has been like two days. Um, and now that he has the book, he, he may as it. well be blind because he can't read yep. it right so so there's a very interesting piece there where even though he you know he, he he's been using his ability to know his his ability to control information now it is his effectively spiritual blindness being shown in the fact that he can't read this book it is a closed book. you're getting you're getting too into the that's the on, like, where we go where do we go where's the rest of the synopsis i, know. I mean that's that's pretty much I know. That, well there's one really last the, piece the, what there is one last piece of the synopsis, which is the how, how the story ends for Eli. Right. Uh, so Eli dies, and uh, he <laughs> dies in peace, which is nice. Yeah. He has a cool, like, white robe, and he's all shaved. Looks like Gabriel or something. I don't know. Yeah. He, uh, and then Solara leaves the safety of San Francisco library. With guard, they have armed guards, so I mean, it's a, it is a pretty safe place. Yeah. And uh, she has her cool, um, I can't plaid shirt yeah. and her her earbuds. And 
Um, she's gonna go go, I guess, back to the town to I don't know, like yeah. witness something. Yeah, well, because <laughs> it is shown when he after he dictates it, they do have a working printing press at Alca- in yes, Alcatraz. Yeah, that's there. the coolest part of the movie. So you like, get to see them ways. printing out these copies of yep. in the beginning, in the beginning, and it's just you know the idea of this being the last copy of the Bible, and then from that last little remnant, even. It can't. It can't be stopped. Did she have a copy with her? She it's, probably did. It's unclear, but I, I'm pr- like, there's no way she doesn't. Right. I mean, just given the whole story of the film, it, it can be easily implied that that is. So that is hopefully what she that does. wasn't too long. I've. Uh, well, that's not too bad. Because uh, we already touched on some interesting things. Do you want to? Um, yeah. So there's. there's so, a, I mean, a lot of vectors here. Oh yeah, yeah. There are. I mean, from the general, it's kind of an. It's an odd movie. It's not uh, – it's it's a post-apocalyptic, but there's, like, other stuff going on. It's a very – I look at it as a very minimalist movie in some ways because mm. there's a small, sub, like, set of characters. Like, there's, like, three main characters, maybe four, you know, if you include yeah. Red Ridge. Red Ridge is – And he is – he's important for a couple of reasons. But, you know, you have Eli, Carnegie, and Solara. Like, that's really it. And you have – like four different like locations, you know, not a lot of locations, even though there's a big wasteland. Um, I, it almost seems like an indie film in some ways, but I know they had a bigger, I think they had a bigger budget than oh, yeah. a if lot you, of indie films do. If you look at the, the actors they got, I mean, when you get those, yeah. those quality I mean, that's actors, like and the they main, do. But it's still, I, I look at it as kind of a minimalist movie, but there mm. really is a lot to unpack. And I saw that, especially on my second or third viewing um yeah there's a lot to work with i don't know what do you want to start with i kind of want to cover the um there's there's a few character transformations that occur right so Mm -hmm. carnegie's character relatively remains the same which is why he's the antagonist um i mean that's just a basic plot but we get different revealings of it like it remains the same but it's revealed to us in different ways like Mm -hmm. first he kind of seems like an enlightened individual Right, he's reading. Like this is like the first person besides Eli that we've seen read. But then you find out, oh, he's reading some some tyrant. What was it? What was he? Do you remember the I, book? I he don't was remember. Holding? I really hope it's not Machiavelli because Machiavelli gets a really bad. No, rap. it's not Machiavelli. I love but, Machiavelli. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Machiavelli is way too much there. fun for Carnegie. Oh yeah. No, it was um, um another dictator. Somebody else. But but what hit the way he acts and his principles and his his application of his principles is consistent. Yeah. So it is. Carnegie's principles are consistent and his actions are consistent with his principles. Eli's principles are consistent. Um they are consistently I would argue that they are consistent but his application of his principles are not. So while he is inspired by the 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 word and he, he has the word in him he he is misguided by his own over-focusing on his, his journey, right? Sure. So, I mean, he he ends up having to learn, and that's one of the things that he, that he talks about, right? When he meets mm-hmm. up with Solara, it, uh, when he rescues her, is he, he says um, something to the effect of, I've been so worried about you know preserving these words that I've forgotten to live by them. Would you say that Eli is maybe at the beginning sort of – I don't know if anti anti hero is too far, but I mean, like he sort of he sort of reminds you of like it's almost he uses the path as justification for not helping someone. Where like I could totally see Han Solo 
doing like yeah. oh, it's not my problem i got i gotta smuggle this stuff you know <laughs> like, yep. you know what i mean like it's, it's a it kind of seems a little anti-hero-esque but um i mean i think the interpretation you just said is better i was just wondering if there's another way we could look at it just in terms of genre tropes i, th- I think because you mentioned before it was kind of like pilgrim's progress where we see this yeah this character who's you know he, he he might not have the the proper orientation at the very beginning but through the journey comes this 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 moment where he 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 finally gets his principles and his actions in line um and then he has to then undergo further trials in the new light that that has been been shown um which is and oh, light is just this fascinating thing. We can get back to that because I do yeah. want to hit the other characters, right? Because then we have the two other characters, and we've we've kind of we've kind of shown Solara's journey already. But why don't you get into Redridge? Because that he is he's such a he's a fascinating guy. Yeah. Um, well, I kind of want to talk about light for a second. Okay, I let's just jump realize, into that. Like, as like elementary principles in this world, like there aren't a lot of good things in the environment, right? Like, the only, like, thing you really... You don't have grass. Like, you barely get grass except for at the end. Mm-hmm. You don't really get blue sky, at least not that our eyes can see, because the whole movie's kind of in this black and white sort of sub... Like sepia, kind of, yeah. R- yeah, it's um, very washed out. Um, the only thing you get is light. You get sunlight. And that's that's still evidence that, oh, okay there's a world that's still being at least somewhat taken care of by, you know, the sun. Right. Right. Um, I just thought that was kind of interesting. Especially. And you also have sort of people sort of when they die, like take off their goggles or whatever they're like, and be in the sunlight. Because that's part of the, 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 the story of like why this apocalypse hit was that there was a solar flare that knocks everything out and blinds a bunch of people. So you've got people who were blinded by that, right. people who were blinded already, yep. Um, yep. but then anybody who's who goes outside, they have to kind of wear this protection to withstand the light. Um, so they right. can't actually, you know, you know they're they're wearing blinders because they can't see the light. And then you know, at the end, especially with Redridge, you know, <laughs> who I almost wonder if we're overhyping him at this point. But the when he takes know, off the glasses, it's like he, you know. He's no longer going to wear wear the shades. He's going to to see the light, even though it's yeah. even though it's blinding at, at the end of his at the end of his life. But the um, yeah, very much like Plato's cave. Yeah, ooh, yeah. Ooh. I mean, we're I, that's that's the allegory, right? Um, and I think Christ, Christianity used that. Plato uses that. Um, uh, enlightenment. Right. Um, you had some episodes about enlightenment. I yes, actually I listened to. Oh, thanks. To I, some of to some of that, I I I have some points about that. We can talk about it later. But um, <laughs> back to Red Ridge. Yes, he is the right hand man of Carnegie, and he also seems somewhat intelligent, not as crass or you know rapey <laughs> as <laughs> like his other curmudgeons that he hires out to to find books for him. He seems to be involved in the thought process and and um uh leadership of the town mm-hmm. right he's a man um but he also seems a bit like a jerk like i just remember there is one there's one um scene where he was like getting in solara's way and it just seemed kind of like that was a little rapey <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> you know 
But you kind of get this idea that he does yeah. know how, like, like because he's the guy doing the dirty work, he knows how to right. get people to do what they need to do. But he's more of a negotiator than Carnegie. Carnegie's a little bit more mm-hmm. um, dictatorial, whereas because he's the he's the practical man, he's got to he's got to figure things out. Right, and so I think Redridge starts to be more interesting when. Um, I think somehow Eli breaks his presence breaks through to Red Ridge. Red Ridge uh, earlier fired at Eli as Eli was trying to leave the town, and Carnegie ordered him to fire at him, and he missed. And then everyone fires at him, and Eli kills everyone, <laughs> or except a Red lot Ridge, of men. Right, everyone who shoots at him except, except for, Red Ridge, except for Red Ridge. And then he like looks at Red Ridge. Red Ridge has the drop on him totally has the drop on him and doesn't fire and he also looks confused when he does it like he's like like he's not really sure why he didn't he's confused and i think that's cool um the next kind of thing we see with red ridge is he um is helping carnegie heal from wounds from that fight and uh he's just with him and he says and he asks carnegie okay, if we're going to go out after this guy who's, like, the most dangerous person we've ever met, like, I want to be compensated. He wants to be compensated by um, getting Solara, mm-hmm. right? Like, some kind of um, old old form of old tribe, I guess, that, you know, where you, like, I want your daughter for mm-hmm. this. And um, Carnegie is a little, he seems a little surprised by that but he does relent at least verbally and um says yeah sure you can have you can have her fine let's go get this book though i mean it's definitely Mm -hmm. at that's definitely the the highest priority form red ridge knows that and uh now i did hear one theory I, i looked at a couple youtube reviews one guy thought that red ridge here was not being uh completely like selfish like he didn't want solara just for like pleasure right because mm. she was used as a prostitute sort of for carnegie earlier i think red ridge knew that and was like anyway and this this youtuber he thought that uh red ridge wanted to do this to protect her right so he comes mm-hmm. at carnegie like i want her but he actually wants to protect her and because then he would I have exclusive rights theory. i think it's a good theory yeah. um well, well, it's interesting. I, well, I, I like the theory. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> it's interesting you can't really to, prove to see it. that, though, because what? because you do see the difference between him and Carnegie somewhat accentuated in how he thinks about her. You know that yeah. the idea that he yeah. would want one woman in particular. It's, it's not true. like That's just true. oh, I just want access want to your harem. It's yes, like yes. this right. this girl, and that is something Carnegie offers Eli earlier while Red Ridge is present, and uh, Carnegie is like, hey. You can have all the women you want or whatever. And Red Ridge asked for this specific woman. So, like, Mm -hmm. there's some concept and semblance of marriage sort of in there. um, Right. Which is kind of interesting in such a uncivilized civilization. Um, Right. So there's that. And then also um, he seems to be protective of Solara later. Like, he's like, you know, let's not. He he seems to want to ensure her protection. Once they recapture her. Once, yeah. Right, so after, as they're shooting Eli, he's 
you know, he's 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 yeah. very much ensuring that he gets what Carnegie promised him. Yep. Um, and at this point, yep. especially after all the devastation, he's he's in a really good spot. I mean, frankly, especially because Carnegie doesn't have any future to him. It's almost like Redridge is – it's like he's looking down the road and he's saying, I don't think this thing is going to last much longer for him. If we want to build for the future, I got to – I have to have the future. I mean, there's almost that intuit, intuitive understanding in the midst of this this desert, wasteland, apocalypse that he wants a future. And and he's going to secure that if he can. So Right. Um, and then he ends up dying by Eli's blade in the car accident and uh, dying in the sun. And I do think that the specific, you know, when he crawls out to get in the sunlight, I think that is telling. I, was he, like, redeemed? I, th- I think, I don't know. I don't, I don't really... I, I don't really I never get redemptive themes in movies. I'm like, okay, they did some good stuff. You know, I mean Yeah, do you wanna do you wanna get into a few of those those like theological missed opportunities? Um or or potential like issues in their interpretation? Sure. I mean, so for one, um Eli is like literally hears a voice in his head um i guess from god that you know to do this specific task which is you know very mystical and a very mystic sort of understanding of how i guess god works right right um it's well especially still small voice in my in my head kind of thing which you know, and that sort of, in my mind, de-elevates the the theme of religion in the movie because it, it kind of turns it into a kind of like, oh, okay, well, it could be like his conscience. It could be, you know, it, it's just one man's subjective experience. Like, who who knows? Like, I, yeah, you know, whereas, like, I guess you could have gone like, well, I read the, he could have been like i read this stuff and i realized that it was supposed to be spread because of these passages and so i did it right that'd be kind of in some ways more compelling because he's working with objective like data right right <laughs> well he's cause, working cause that, with what is actual that? book it's not like those i mean those those things could be unrelated the mm-hmm. book and the still small voice like I don't know. Right. And I, I mean, as opposed verify, to right? as opposed to looking at like Hebrews 1, right? In many and various ways God spoke to his people of old by the prophets, right? So sure. Right. But now in these last days he's spoken to us by his son. If that's what motivates him it becomes a little bit more compelling um mm-hmm. to as a from a theological or or should we say right. Lutheran perspective, you know. Um yeah. biblical, truthful, real perspective. Uh-huh. Uh yeah, there's a there's a I mean, heavy bias his name to this is podcast. You know, Elijah, right? right? Who was a prophet. So, I mean, they're playing around with that. Um, how? But, I mean, I, I still think I, I found the religious thematic content more compelling after watching it again. Because, mm. um, in some, you know, I, I, I still have an issue with, like, mysticism. But, I mean, it's, it's a movie. Right, it's a contemporary movie. Yeah, yeah. What are you gonna do? Um, 
it's even postmodern in some ways, but like it's um pretty cool. Let's yeah. see cuz well, he um I think the where I sort of get the pilgrim's progress idea is I mean obviously it's a journey, mm-hmm. right? Um and then I think you know his application like you were saying is sort of his application of the principles in the Bible are sort of change, right? So like as a Christian grows, they learn, oh, okay, so I can sort of apply it this way instead of this way. This way would not be as good as this way, right? right? And I do think at one point there is this um, line in the movie when Carnegie shoots Eli. Um, he says, uh, okay, Eli first says God is always good. Mm-hmm. And so far his experience of God has been pretty good because he hasn't gotten hurt. Been, at all surprise like amazingly like, he's has ama- been like preserved. miraculously has not been hurt at all and then carnegie like <laughs> the devil in this context is yeah. like not always god's not always good and then he shoots him in the stomach and um i i really like that part because it's sort of it's like the 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 trope of a Christian like losing their faith because something bad happened to them. Right. It's great. It's and I think that's what sort of elevates the religious thematic content because that is totally something a lot of people can relate to. And um, you know they're they're like yeah you know like today it was it was uh, sunny outside and I yeah. just realized like God exists <laughs> and I, I love God I saw and a butterfly. God loves me and yeah. like everything's like, great. Have you ever and, seen a butterfly? And then I, and oh. then I, I lost my job on a stormy day and you know, every, oh. I don't know about that stuff, right. man, you know, like, I don't know. And like when you constantly validate your religious understanding or your understanding of truth and reality with your experience, that's sort of the inevitable conclusion. And Carnegie kind of knows that and he screws him over in that regards. And I think this is also sort of, we get to see sort of Eli's faith maturing over the course of the movie Hmm. because of this too, right? In a, in a way, I don't know. And maybe this is me reading too much into it, maybe even applying my own ideas to it. But I think, you know, the Christian at first, yeah, might think, because of their experience, like God exists. And then, you know, when a bad thing happens, like, ah, no, but then, you know, Eli keeps trudging along, trudging along. And, you know, still he holds to the faith, mm-hmm. even though he fell, even though it, it hurt, he got hurt. Yeah. Um, it's, it still mattered. And, and even though, know. even though that is a voice, you know, the, the mystics, faith of, of of a voice from mm-hmm. the inside versus the external word it's still that he is not trusting in his own strength or power because he knows he's he knows after he gets shot it's like he may as well be dead because he's on his own he has he just keeps he just keeps moving he just it's like he just keeps yeah. going west without this book um there's no indication given to the viewer that he at this point has this plan of of reciting it from memory. It's more that he's doing it just he doesn't even know what's out west. He's doing it because he trusts that word that he has faith in. Um and there is some there's some yeah. value that. And yeah. and that yep. even there, you do go through trials and tribulations and, and right. you know, you're not gonna always be going from victory to victory and declaring and decree and it's like, no, you're gonna get shot 
in the gut. And, you know, that's welcome to reality. Um, right. Welcome to the, the the nature, the consequence of a fallen world. When you do have to right. handle those trials and tribulations and, and, and overcome that, it does it, – it, it, Comes, it somewhat overcomes that mystical error, even though, again, it would have been nice to have the external word to be the motivator. Um, so the other thing I thought was interesting from a religious point of view was um, in the bar, when he runs into one of the, the rapist killers, or the leader, <laughs> right? Yeah. And um, he, uh, what does he punch him first or does he hit him somehow and then he he ends up whispering to this man i know what you did you murder you mm-hmm. raper uh, you, you know like like i know what you did because he saw what he did earlier this was on and, the road um, like he saw him on the road when he when he decided you know stay on the path i'm not going to intervene yeah he still saw this guy doing what he does and then he arrives in the town and finds this man and becomes mm-hmm. becomes his conscience becomes the voice of the law he he does and um but he i mean he literally hits this guy too so he's like literally the hammer of the law you know oh yeah yeah that, that you, but, can't, uh, you can't avoid it I, it was it's it's a weird spot though because there's so much ambiguity in this film and that's what's frustrating about it too because you could have things so many different ways you know, I don't really know what that meant, but it was partially cool in that he's like, here's your sin, right? Mm-hmm. And then the, and it hits the guy. It does. It it visibly affects him, and then he dies, and so you don't yeah. really know. <laughs> like, you're like, oh, well, all right, all right at, I don't at, know. At what point do you have to assume with him that the heart has been hardened? Because he, he hears right. his sin and he attacks, right? He hears he hears the, the law and he hates it, right? He hears what God has to say about what you've done, and he tries to kill kill God in this in this analogy, right? When he mm-hmm. when the conscience arises, he smothers it uh, because that is his only it's his only recourse after hardening his heart. Um, so I do think there's there's right. some interesting. I mean, at least that's that's a, an interpretation that works with uh, theologically and with the with the story itself. Um, like you've you've been saying though, it's like it is vague, and especially yeah. I think the problem is it's Hollywood. And so to to get a story that has these themes in it is hard enough. Um, I mean, I would love to interview the directors. The I think they're brothers because, um, like, I also I mean I I don't really know what angle they were sort of making the film under. Like, because I really could interpret it from a kind of you know knowledge enlightenment point of view. Like, okay, so here is. Here's how religion helps civilization. Here's how it doesn't. You mm-hmm. know, or is it kind of just here's a hand in general handing down of knowledge is better than not handing down knowledge. Like Carnegie. I I don't know. Well, you st- it's still a question of why the Bible. And that's really it kind of gets true. to this this main question I was looking at what well, um couple of points on like what is the point of it? Um there is some indication that religion has some secular value and that those who abuse it are abusing it. They're not using it properly. So Carnegie is an abuser of the faith rather than somebody properly exegeting it. Which um, assumes that it can be used properly. Right. Which is kind of cool. And I think that the movie does seem to indicate that. But what is its proper use? And that's the other yeah. piece of it, right? So it's yeah. saying morality is good, right? You need morality to have a functioning civilization, which – is like 
that's obvious. Everybody knows that. Everybody should know that. Some people forget it because they want to. And it says that the Bible says something. But is the gospel actually there? Is the proclamation mm-hmm. of Christ present in this film? I would say no. And that's that's the greatest flaw. It You, you do get two, two particular Bible passages quoted. Um, you get the... Uh, as at the end, he starts in the beginning, uh, God created the heavens and the earth. And and so you do get that piece of it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and then, of course, ending with, uh, and God said, let there be light, right? This, 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 again, light coming back into it, light being this, this enemy throughout the story. And then it's like, well, that's actually coming from God. You know, you're, you, you know, mm-hmm. it's a very interesting theme there, but it's not the gospel. And the only other place that you have uh, scripture actually read is from Psalm 23, um, um, after Eli rescues Solara, she asks him to read from the book and he yeah. picks that psalm. It's an interesting choice. I mean, it's, it's a little, it's a little tropey. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was my thought. <laughs> well, it's, 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 yeah, it's a little <clears throat> well used. It's something that Hollywood's comfortable with. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, as opposed to like personally, I would have thought, man, what, what you know, and I, could I you throw that, John, John wanted her that early? Right. I think so. And that's also why I'm like, ah, like Eli is almost like a confessor or someone who, you know, but then it's not explicit. It's like, here's your sin. It's like, that's religion. So I guess religion's purpose, Christianity's purpose is to show you your sin. Does it do anything else? Oh, okay. Never mind. He's dead. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> right. It doesn't really do anything else. And I guess in the context of, I think this movie is mainly about, uh, about uh, civil uh, the civil realm. Mm-hmm. I guess. Right. It, it's mainly about the civil realm and how religion is important in that context. And really, I mean, even in our culture, we can see. Okay. The main if the main thing people could get right if they could just get around their heads that some god created stuff, then we'd probably be okay. Like in general, like in terms yeah. of just peaceful relations, like okay, um, e- even in generic syncretism, whatever you know, like if if people just believed that like God created stuff, then we'd probably not have like issues like i don't know um issues with 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 identity yeah well if you right? believe that that there is order and that the one who created this order is so much greater than you that you you really sh- like you're not allowed to touch with it touch it you're not allowed to mess with it and you really shouldn't be messing with it and messing with it is wrong mm-hmm. that 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 understanding only occurs if you have a, a, a the implicit presupposition that god exists he's bigger than you and that it's his order that you are interacting with mm-hmm. and i think yeah you're right that that this is the the chaos we live in is the flip side arguably of of the atheistic um flaw right, right? so you have one side of it that says you know, we are God, we will set our own rules. And you have the other side that says, we are God, there are no rules. And that's where we're at right, right. now. Um, and so th- this movie does say, hey, that's not good. Because then what you get right. is Here's the result. <laughs> men deciding what rules to govern by right. of their own accord. Right. Yep. Um, 
Yeah, no, and I think I think you're you're totally right about bringing those points about uh, of you know there's only two places scriptures used, and it's kind of used in an ambiguous sort of first article of the creed kind of way. Yeah, God takes care of us. God does stuff. God created stuff. Okay, there's that. That's the really. I mean, because mm-hmm. the other, you know, and where it kind of gets syncretistic is you know at the end, and I'm not complaining about it. I think it's fine for the. In, in the, for this film, um, you have uh, you have the Bible. Once it's printed, the main copy is placed beside the Quran and the Torah. Yeah. And uh, right, so I mean, it's like ah, okay, the three main, the three biggies, the three main religions. Oh right, yeah, gotcha. Those, gotcha totally gotcha, related. Gotcha, those yeah, <laughs> the the ones that have affected Western uh, civilization for the past two thousand. Years. Well, okay, to be fair, they have. It's just some have been more positive than others. <laughs> oh, I agree. I mean, <laughs> um, and, and, and I so the value, <laughs> the va- some things might be, you know, if there was one copy of the Quran left, I'd probably burn it myself, you know. So I kind of, I can understand some of that, that uh, hostility there. But we do see, um, I was just looking it up. Hey, what's great, the thing, the, the great thing about, um, I guess, American forms of Islam is that they're so uh, liberal that they'd probably be okay with that. <laughs> and I'm, I'm fine with that too. Like, hey, I, I'm glad you guys are so. But don't you know it's the religion of peace? <laughs> All right. Yeah. But but to, to get back to the, the point of the first article stuff, right, we get with, with uh, Romans 1, right? For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood through what was made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks and became futile in their speculations, and their foolish hearts were darkened, right? And so right there from from that piece, what you get, and this is kind of goes back to the older podcast. Um, those of you who remember this, the, the big the big fire triplet, uh, we're talking about the heart being enlightened by the external word of the gospel, you know, the preaching of Christ and, and his and his work versus the darkness that that occurs when you when you actively refuse to even like acknowledge God, when you when you deny the self-evident reality of creation. Um, and this is honestly really interestingly mirrored with the visuals um, in the film. So uh, that's one that's one of those reasons I thought you know you kind of get this. Have you seen um Oh, I think it's Amazing Grace with... I saw it a while ago with um, the, the, the actor from um, Fantastic Four. Well, the one... Yeah, it's it's got Benedict Cumberbatch in it as... Oh, it's Benedict Cumberbatch? Yeah, Benedict... He's not the main actor, but he's one of the oh, okay. uh, secondary actors. Okay. Uh, but then you get this this really interesting, you know, sh- show of the guy who wrote the wrote that, that piece. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, and he has this the, this line when he does go blind. Because he's a slave trader, right? Right. And then... Yeah. He, you know, and so this is the story of William Wilberforce uh, going about his his conquest to make slavery illegal in Britain, and right. and that uh, there's a part of that story where he goes to the man who wrote Amazing Grace and he says, "I once was blind, but now I see," and he is blind at this point in the story, and he says, "Well, now at last it's true," and there's an interesting flip there that I think applies to Eli as well. Where you get this, you know, because he's blind, because he cannot, he cannot see that he he is being guided by faith. 
So while it might not be like like we mentioned earlier, it might not be faith in the right thing. He at least understands that he has to trust in God. He has to to rely on God to um, to guide his way, and that everything he does is is a is a piece of that. So, right. yeah, and the, the only other thing I, I think um, I find absolutely fascinating about this is how much it pushes reading. It's like reading is yeah, good. Yeah, I love that. Make oh, sure you my read. goodness. I get so nerdy about books that have a really good presentation of like, I mean, did I say books? Freudian slip. Movies that have <laughs> such a good presentation of books that just, that tickles. I mean, my dad was a librarian and always nerded out i mean like i saw like i went to uh he was a librarian at uh theological library and they had this book binding section in the you know like and just to go into the basement and see the book binder people like that was so cool i'm like ah they're like binding up knowledge and then uh very gutenberg press you know at the end of the movie they're they're printing out all, ah, it's, yeah. it's like knowledge being distributed everywhere. Like, yes. And, and being the, that last bastion of, like, being the bastion of true civilization. That's that so cool. Order comes through the preservation of knowledge and, and, and keeping things. I mean, in, especially in these, these, uh, these and, days of ours. And not just generic, like, data knowledge, like books, but physical written stuff, mm-hmm. like ink, paper. You know, I mean, it's it's there's an order to it. You start at the the, you know, you open the cover after you read the cover, and then you go to the next page, and you go mm-hmm. to the next page. It's systematic, it's orderly, it's it's off the chain, and it's and it's tangible. One of my favorite jokes yeah. right now is when people have like the colloquial phrase like "hold on to that thought." Well, I've been I've been really using a lot of note cards in my life. I like, just try to keep track of information. Oh, you're doing so. An- yeah. The Fisk thing. Yeah, it's been it's trust me, man. It is no, I actually it's amazing. Look, oh yeah. Right? Woo! All no, right. Actually I have I have Yeah, you have yeah. a stack. You have a stack. I have a stack of I have, cards. I've got a couple of couple of bind uh, not binders, but little uh flaps with them. But, I mean they're helpful like to like write yeah. I don't know. Well, because writing is valuable. So when I when they say hold on to that thought, I write it down and I hold it up and I'm like, Yes, I'm holding on to the thought, it's right here. Don't worry. Because because that's the, the beauty of a book. Like you have Almost, it's not quite incarnate because it's not flesh. Yeah, but it is—it's real words. It's words that have gone from somebody's brain into their fingers, and it's now in in the like that thought is in the world now. It's Mm -hmm. not—it's not just a figment of your imagination. It is reality, even if it's a story, even if it's a fictional story. It's in reality in a way that you can take in whenever you need to, wherever you are. All you need is is light. You know, mm-hmm. whereas a movie, a movie, a music, it's the same thing. It's just that it requires more steps. And I think it's a little bit less, I don't know, human because the interface is, is something we control with electricity mm-hmm. like, or we think we control it. I think we don't. Um, but, yeah. but it's this, it's this, it's a couple more steps are involved and you have to have more people hooked up. Whereas I have a candle and I have a lighter. I, I have uh, two sticks and some some underbrush. You know, start a fire, read a book, or go outside in the light that God created and read. You know, it's like that's all you need. Mm-hmm. You don't need mm-hmm. anything to read. Um, now I'm like really, 
I'm, I kind of want to push my my interpretation of the movie that it's basically like plate. It's Plato's cave. Plato's cave. It's all about light and like casting light on stuff. I don't know. I mean, but it's also Christian. I, well, it's, it, it's cause, almost cause as though when you when we were talking about the reading and writing, that reminded me of this thing that uh, Socrates said, and he was all about. I think he mentioned in one of the dialogues, which is really interesting because it's one of the written dialogues that um, writing stuff down is bad. And he's right because it's bad for the memory. He's bad. It's bad. Like you don't memorize and remember the audible word as because you're like, oh, I can just write it down and remember it later. But then it's then you can just have to look at it. You don't have to. Sorry, that's a different kind of t- <laughs> well but oh and i, I oh man that, that could go get me mean, down a whole other rabbit hole about how technology is effectively what liberalizes society because technology replaces discipline right mm-hmm. which is that like which is learning which is knowledge which order, is right? or, yeah order so you have your mind yeah so you have effectively that the world is is empowered to move towards chaos because we create technology that takes us, our discipline away from us and off puts it to something else. And that's not always bad, right? Because we can serve our neighbor using technology, but we have to guard ourselves against terminal entropy, right? Un- against allowing ourselves to be so undisciplined, unorderly, un- uneducated in knowledge and-, and so chaotic in and of ourselves mm-hmm. that the technology can't do anything. Mm-hmm. You know, so that, that, oh man, like I want to re I want to get back to memorization. You know, it's one of the reasons I do like talking on this podcast and like talking right. with people and, um, right. And because it's, I mean, that's Socrates's point, right? And it, right. it is kind of tongue in cheek a little bit that Plato <laughs> includes that because Plato is <laughs> recording these dialogues in right. written form. Obviously he kind of disagreed. <laughs> well, and with, if he hadn't written it down, no right. one would know who Socrates it, is, like, right? <laughs> um, well, it's like there may sorry, have been Athens people, still but... doesn't exist. I can't go to the 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 square and discuss ideas that you have. <laughs> right, right, and and, um, and that's one of those. Ah, oh, it's that power of Athens. Of words. Um, but it is interesting that of all the books they chose to show this this escape from the cave, right? To to show yeah. how to bring people out of the cave. They don't pick. I mean, what else do you pick? There no, they, d- they did pick the Bible explicitly. And I think it's, you know, I mean, it's an American-made movie. Um, Christianity has been pretty influential in America, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. You know, whatever flavor, right? The revivals, you know, the, the revival movements in the 1800s were very influential in our thinking. Um you know, you can call it puritanical, whatever. Christianity has affected our society. And so you got to talk about it somehow. And this is one way of doing so. It's kind of interesting. Um, also, talking about memorization and technology, technology specifically, I recently watched a movie. Is this, I'm going to talk about this other movie because it's cool. Sure. Just, and it's what movie? It, um, the Gods Must Be Crazy. Hmm. Have you heard of that movie? I haven't heard of that. I'll have to put that on my oh, a note card. It's on Amazon for $2. I rented it on Amazon, which I realize is basically another form of Best Buy. Like, not Best Buy, <laughs> uh, Blockbuster, right? Uh, um, but online, and, you know, unlike Netflix where you have to kind of just deal with whatever they have, 
So I realized that. Interesting. Um, Gods Must Be Crazy. It is about they film an actual bush tribe in Africa. Ooh. And they uh, have this story where these people, where this lady, she comes there to teach, not at the bush tribe, but in the more civilized part of Africa, South Africa. And um, the commentary at the beginning is hilarious in contrasting the bush people and like modern society and how we like sort of basically just do things arbitrarily to support the technology. Like everything we do now is like, it's like layers of technology. Right. Right. And the way, the way, just look up like the first scene sometime. It's hilarious, you know? Um, but the idea is we kind of get lazy, but we also sort of have to like, now we're just, our whole life is simply fixing the stuff we made. Fighting. And I, I yeah. can relate to this being in IT, right? And now in more of a technical support role, um, here with my headset on, yeah. right? Um, you know, it's just the nature of the beast, man. Yeah, you you get this. The, once something is created in this world, it it begins to degenerate, right? You're always going to move towards. You get a certain amount of buildup. But the yeah. the systems are always going to fall apart. You know, the mem- the knowledge will always be lost. And, you know, it's like you see in history these great dark ages where, you know, th- things like uh, maybe it's the, the, the Bronze Age collapse. Who knows what caused it? I tend to think right now it was a combination of, of famine and maybe a volcanic eruption in the Mediterranean. And, you know, you, you, get, these, you get these massive civilizations that fall apart. Because it's 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 scary for us to actually think, but our civilizations are, are incredibly fragile, and um, and then what what is going to survive? I mean, this year has that? definitely oh, given gee. us a taste of that oh, a little bit. Yeah. Although although I think there still is is kind of a uh, it's still kind of a little first worldy in some way. You know? I oh mean, man, I have to sit in my air conditioned house all day. I know. <laughs> Oh, there hum, was hum, a hum, hum. there was Ben Shapiro was talking about meeting a a friend at a restaurant recently, and uh, he, like people around him, you know, are with their two hundred dollar bottles of Chardonnay, and you know they're talking about the world's problems and stuff. It's like okay, so, uh, all right, like right. I or the country's problems even. Yeah, but but it's a good reminder, like with this movie as well, when we look at it and we see in this yeah. post apocalypse post apocalypse. You see, yeah. human nature is fundamentally the same, and mm-hmm. and that's something that they they capture really well. And it's uh, it's interesting to see what they choose as valuable enough to fight over, to fight for water, maybe land, women, maybe. But the word that that, that is valuable enough to fight for um, that they live in a world so deprived of it that they must go to war with one another to get it. It's 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 a or pretty to kill f- each other. Not even right. not even declaring war. It's just <laughs> right. It's that, just I want your stuff. That uh, so postmodern reality of who who is strongest wins, and uh, and yet to have that story that this is this is worth retaining. It's definitely mm-hmm. uh, definitely a story I'd recommend. Well, yeah, I mean, because also, I, I mean, it shows that human nature is fundamentally not good, and it shows there's a reason for nobility. For, for nobility in human nature, and it's not because humans, <laughs> right? So, just want to 
Yeah. Last it, thing. Thanks. Thanks. Um, well, I mean, do you have any other closing thoughts before we uh, wrap this thing up? Nope. I'll take the. I was gonna say I'll take that as a no. Um, well, thanks. Thanks so much for uh, for joining me. I really appreciate the conversation. It was fantastic chat, and uh, it's a fantastic movie. Uh, again, that's the Book of Eli. And so, thank you, Jesse, for for joining me. And no uh, problem. Thank you for having me. Let me know if uh, you got another one. And uh, so, I hope hope you all had a good time. And I'll talk to you next time.